let's open our Bibles uh, back to Joshua chapter 2, and I'll have you remain seated tonight. Joshua chapter 2, I'm, I'm going to also ask you in a little bit to turn with me to a couple other passages. And I'm thankful for two things. I'm thankful for air conditioning. And I am thankful for crock pots that keep chili hot. And it's amazing that in God's, in God's family, people could come in here and complain about it being too hot in here and the chili too cold out there. <laughs> but aren't you thankful for the technology God allows us to be spoiled by, amen, and to utilize, that is a, that is a blessing. I'm thankful for that. This morning we, we talked about Rahab and, and dealt with the, the idea of in this house. And we're going to look at that, but then we're going to ex, expand the application from salvation and then deal with this, the issue of sanctification as well. I, I want to be sure, and I'll, I'll deal with this, and I'll mention this again, but just so that we're on the same page from the beginning about what we're not talking about, your salvation is not determined by your sanctification. Your salvation is not determined by your sanctification. But equally as true in Scripture is this, your salvation ought to produce some sanctification. Meaning this, if you're in that house, you ought to look like you're in that house. If you're in that house, then your life ought to bear out the resemblance of being in that house. And since we're talking about camp and having a fundraiser, obviously I, I have a lot of application I want to make about young people in homes, about our church in the kind of church that we're trying to be. And so in Joshua chapter 2, look again at verse number 12. Now therefore I pray you swear unto me by the Lord, since I have showed you kindness, that you will also show kindness unto my father's house and give me a true token. And you go back to Hebrews 11, and that this was the, dem the manifestation of her faith, is that she hid the spies with peace. Verse 13, that you will save alive my father and my mother and my brethren and my sisters and all that they have and deliver our lives from death. And the men answered her, our life for yours if ye utter not this our business and it shall be when the Lord hath given us the land that we will deal kindly and truly with thee. Then she let them down by a cord through the window for her house was upon the town wall and she dwelt upon the wall and she said unto them and told them where to go. Verse, go down to verse um, verse 18, Behold, when we come into the land, thou shalt bind this line of scarlet thread in the window which thou didst leave us, excuse me, which thou didst let us down by, and thou shalt bring thy father and thy mother and thy brethren and all thy father's household home unto thee. And it shall be that whosoever shall go out of the doors of thy house into the street, his blood shall be upon his head, and we will be guiltless. And whosoever shall be with thee in the house, his blood shall be on our head, if any hand be upon him. Go over, just as a reminder, to chapter 6, 
verse 21, and they utterly destroyed all that was in the city, verse 22, but Joshua said unto the two men that had spied out the country, go into the harlot's house and bring out thence the woman and all that she hath as ye swear unto her. And the young men, excuse me, that were spies went in and brought out Rahab and her father and her mother and her brethren and all that she had, and they brought out all her kindred and left them without the camp of Israel. And the house was destroyed, or the city was destroyed, but verse 25, and Joshua saved Rahab the harlot alive in her father's household and all that she had. And she dwelleth in Israel even unto this day because she hid the messengers which Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. So this morning, we dealt with this in this house having to do with salvation. Tonight, we're looking at the idea of sanctification as well. Would you please pray with me and we'll get into this. Father, so thankful that you love us and grateful for services like this that are outside of what we normally do, but they are on purpose for a specific cause. And we thank you for the sweet times of fellowship and, and honestly, Lord, the fun that we get to have as your people in, in the in the effort to accomplish something that is worthy and that is eternal. And so thank you that we get to be a part of all of that. And Lord, I pray that you would please use the message just for a few minutes, Father, as we go back through this and, and consider not just the implication of salvation, but also understand that you have some expectation after we're saved. And it, it doesn't determine our salvation, but we sure do bring a lot of difficulty upon ourselves, and we sure do miss out on a lot of blessing. We don't recognize that your salvation ought to be producing sanctification in our lives as well. And so I pray that you'd bless this, Lord. In Jesus' name, I pray, amen. So as I've already mentioned, the house of Rahab was a house of salvation. And we understand from the text that there was room in that house, that it was an exclusive house, and that it was a guaranteed house. It was a place of guaranteed safety and protection. But we do ourselves a disservice if we, if we fail to recognize that God wants to do more than just save you from an eternity of condemnation. If, if that's really the only point, then the Bible would be a lot thinner. And there really, really wouldn't necessarily be much more reason to live except, hey, just party it up and live however you want to. The house that we're, as we're applying it tonight, is not just a place of salvation, but it's a place of sanctification. And the idea of that is to be set apart. It's a place, it's an object or something that has a special purpose. And so many of God's people fail to understand that God saves you, not just because he loves you, but he also has a purpose for your life. He wants to do something with you, and he wants to do something in you. He wants to do some things through you as well. And there, there are so many teachers and ideas in secular Christianity today trying to present the, the work of God as though once you're saved, Basically, you can just live life however you want to, and it's, it's increasingly rare to find a teacher or a preacher who will articulate biblical positions on a, on a vast array of issues for fear of upsetting the apple cart 
And it's almost as though, hey, as long as you've got your ticket to heaven, you just live your life however you want to. Just live your life in whatever way feels good and don't really worry about it. But scripture teaches us very clearly that we are to be a separated people. That's not a popular word. And it's a word that is only going to become less popular But we are not supposed to be the same after we are saved. And we are not supposed to be the same as a culture that is moving in opposition to God, moving away from God, and is rapidly descending into certain eternal condemnation. We're not supposed to be the same. Leviticus 19 verse 2, 20 verse 7, 20 verse 26, and there are other places, don't turn there. But it all, they all make this statement in one way or another. Be ye holy. The word holy meaning to be different than, to be set apart. To have a special and a unique purpose. Be ye holy. Well, why? why? Why are God's people supposed to be holy? Here's what God says. For I am holy. Now, we major on, and rightfully so, we major on the love of God. One of the reasons that God's love for us is so amazing is because of how holy he is. That he being perfect could love us who are so imperfect. And yet the, the goal of God is not just to save us from eternal condemnation, but it's also to produce his life in us And so when he brought the children of Israel out of bondage and into freedom and then began the process of leading them into the promised land, God's attitude, if you'll remember, was not just, hey, live your life however you want to. It was, I am a certain way. (laughs) Does that make sense? No, God told his people, I am a certain way. And you need to make an effort because of the life I've given you and the freedom I've given you. You need to work at living out who I am in your life. In other words, your lifestyle needs to be consistent with my character. You say, how would you define holiness? That. Your lifestyle needs to be consistent with the character of God. Here's something interesting. God gave laws in the Old Testament that are still very relevant today. I get, I get weary of this. Are you ready? This is what I get weary of. Not that you care, but I do. <laughs> I can tell you're all on pins and needles right now. I get weary of this. Well, you know, that was in the Old Testament. Meaning, love the Lord thy God with all your heart because that was in the Old Testament. It's not relevant anymore. Mean thou shalt not covet neighbor's cattle, neighbor's wife, because that was in the Old Testament. No, those weren't those laws, and they weren't suggestions. They are called commandments because they reflect who God is, and it spans time. God doesn't change from one generation to the next. He's always the same. And man, we get excited, Brother Fiavi, when we're talking about his love doesn't change. But we also need to understand that his holiness from generation does not change either. He is the same in character, whether it be his love, whether it be his grace for people, whether it be his holiness and his righteousness, he does not change. 
consider, look in your Bible if you would. 2 Corinthians 6, verse 14 through 18. Be ye, I'm going to start reading, 2 Corinthians 6, 14 through 18. Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness, and what communion hath light with darkness? He is specifically talking about marriage here. What concord hath Christ with Belial, or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God, as God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, and will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. Don't misunderstand. The separation that Scripture is teaching here is not about working for your salvation. There wouldn't be passages like Titus 3, 5, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us. There wouldn't be passages like Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 that say, for by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. There would not be such passages in scripture if salvation was a result of sanctification. Are we on the same page here? Nobody ever got saved by keeping the Ten Commandments. Yeah, I think I'll park there for just a minute. Thank you. You say, well, how did people get saved in the Old Testament? Same way they got saved in the New Testament. You ready? It's called faith. Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Noah found grace. You say, well, God expected them to keep the law. Right, but them keeping the law was, had two parts. Number one, it was a demonstration of their faith in God. And then number two was a demonstration that they could never perfectly keep the law. Who in the Old Testament perfectly kept the law? Right. That's why Jesus came to fulfill the law and then to die as a substitute in our place. So we're not talking about sanctification unto salvation. We are talking about the faith of Jesus Christ ought to affect the way that you live your life. Another way to say it is this. Living out the salvation that draws the attention of those around you to the goodness and greatness of God. 1 Peter 1, 15 through 17. Look there, please. 1 Peter 1, 15 through 17. But as he which hath called you is holy. No, 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 no. I love this. He didn't call you because you were holy. <laughs> he saved you. And now he says this, hey, I called you, I saved you, I've given you eternal life. Now, because of who I am, you begin to, you begin to work at being this way by the life that I've put in you. Be ye holy in all manner of conversation. He's, the word conversation there is talking about our lifestyle Verse 16, because it is written, referencing back to Leviticus and other places, be ye holy, for I am holy. And if you call on the Father who without respect of persons judgeth according to every man's work, pass the time of your sojourning here in fear, be holy. No, look, here, this is not the danger. The danger is not that you will lose your salvation. You can't lose what does not depend upon you. But there is a danger, and that is this. You will miss out on some of the benefits of your salvation in this life 
and you will be exposed to unnecessary suffering and scars. The benefit of the house, the, the work of God's grace in our lives, is not just eternal salvation, but it's the life that the grace of Jesus Christ should produce during our life on this earth. The benefit of the house, the, the house that Rahab was in, is not just the eternal salvation. You go into Matthew chapter 1. This is what, don't look there. This is what you find out about Rahab. She was in the lineage of Jesus Christ. <laughs> she had a relationship with God. But she still had a life to live. And because of her willingness to be in the house, it didn't just produce an eternal benefit. It also produced a benefit in this life that was both good for her family and pleasing to God as well. I'm so glad that salvation is not dependent upon sanctification, but salvation ought to produce sanctification in the lives of those who have put their faith in Jesus Christ. They should live life as though they are a part of that house. Here's the way I'm wording this statement, and then I'll begin to make some application. The house that is good for your salvation is also good for your sanctification. This is, this, and Paul dealt with this. There are believers who think that the grace of God gives me license to live however I want. But the grace of God has not been given to you to go out and live your life however you want. It's been given to you so that your life can be transformed into the image of Jesus Christ who saved you. Here's the problem. There are believers that live as though they aren't a part of that house. Okay, here's the possibility and, and, and again, I am, I am doing some speculation here, and I acknowledge that. But in Joshua chapter 2, you couldn't reap the full benefit of being in that house unless you were actually in that house. Now, when it comes to a salvation application, it has nothing to do with our works. Do we all understand that? But there are people who are genuinely saved but they want to live their life as though they are not in that house. Like, oh no, pastor, I'm saved, I'm in the house. But then the lifestyle and the way that you, and the way that you conduct yourself and the influences that you allow to come into your life, those influences do not reflect the character of the one who saved you and gave you that life. Rather, they reflect the culture of a condemned city like Jericho. They reflect the culture of a city that is going in opposition to God. They reflect a culture that produces casualties over and over and over again, people whose salvation is in the house, but their lifestyle looks like everyone else in the city. And the results are devastating. Let me give you some thoughts about this. Number one, Jesus taught more than just the gospel. <laughs> okay, I'm really excited about this. So I'm going to sit here and be excited for a minute. Man, he did. That's good. Uh, Matthew chapter 5. For the sake of time, we're not going to turn there. Matthew chapter 5, the Sermon on the Mount, all the way through chapter 7. He laid out some pretty specific issues and expectations for the people of God. Are you ready? I can, I can tell you're really ready for this. All right. I've never killed anybody. Don't hate your neighbor. <laughs> I've never committed adultery. Don't lust. 
Jesus, Jesus didn't just come teaching about salvation. He came and taught that, no, salvation is a work of grace. But after you've believed, there are certain expectations that God would have of you. Number two, notice this, that being like Jesus is the goal of sanctification. Mm, this point makes me happy. Standards, please, some of you need to write this down. Standards are not a sign of spirituality. Mm. Well, I wear this, and I have this Bible, and I sing out of this hymnal. Obviously, I'm spiritual. No, because there were a whole lot of Pharisees that had some standards. And the whole reason Jesus dealt with the issue of specifically of adultery and your own thoughts is not to give people a, a broader way to accuse their spouses. It was to help people to understand you fall short of God and your physical standards do not necessarily make you closer to God. Standards are not a sign of spirituality. Here's another one. Standards don't make you any better than anyone else. You can, I love this, you can have different standards and still love people and get along. Isn't that amazing, Pastor Cook? There are some people that they think the goal is just to have a standard. But how you have a standard is sometimes, no, no, um, let me start over. How you have a standard is as important as the standard that you have. I'm not sure that makes sense. How you have the standard is as important as the standard you have. There are people that claim to be separated, and yet their spirit reflects nothing of the grace and love of Jesus Christ. Their, the respect and reverence for God, and the appreciation for humanity, and the love for people that God proclaims. The goal, the goal is to be like Jesus. People will say, well, man, I just, I can't be around people because we have different standards. Have you ever read the Bible? You say, well, that's kind of that's in your face. No, seriously, have you ever read the Bible? Who did Jesus talk to? <laughs> Thank you. Publicans and sinners. You know what his own disciples said to him when he goes to sit down with the woman at the well? What is he doing talking to her? You know what he's doing talking to her? Trying to help her know him. Trying to get her saved. He literally ate with people that the religious establishment would have nothing to do with. In fact, they criticized him because, who he kept, because of who he kept company with. It, that doesn't mean that he endorsed their behavior. It means that he loved them and wanted to reach them. And he didn't come to them preaching, his, preaching standard. He came to them preaching the gospel that produces a separated life. Yep. Number three, there are consequences that you don't have to suffer if you'll stay within the lines of sanctification that God has established. There are consequences that people suffer unnecessarily. There are consequences that people suffer unnecessarily. I, I hate the tragedies 
I hate the tragedies that can be avoided. You know what I mean? One of my, one of my frustrations with, with a lot of driving accidents, not everyone, but a lot of them, is that they are affected by alcohol. Completely avoidable. Other kinds of distracted or impaired driving, completely avoidable. And I hear about these tragedies and, and it breaks my heart because of the loss that has suffered. And it's completely unnecessary. This didn't have to happen. See people that, who's, who are saved. You say saved people don't do bad things. Okay, let's talk about it. The New Testament says that righteous Lot was vexed. You know what the implication of righteous Lot? He had a relationship with God. Did, did his lifestyle, after he was disconnected from Abraham, look anything like the lifestyle of a believer? No. And look at the scars that were, look at the damage to that family. His his family dies, including his wife, except for his two daughters, and they are of such a corrupt frame of mind and such a carnal, they have such a carnal view, and you see the way that they interact with their father after the three of them escape, and you say, I can't believe they would do that because they're the ones who initiated that process, but go back and look at how their father was using them just a few chapters before. No, no, don't do this, to, don't do this to, to my male guest. Here, just take my daughters. Look at the life of David, a man after God's own heart. You say, David, man, a saved person would never. Even as a child of God, we can descend a long way from what God would have us to do if we're not walking with him. Okay, look, you, you know I'm transparent. There is nobody that is immune to sin. And how many churches have been wrecked and harmed because a pastor got too high of a view of themselves and let their guard down? How many homes have been decimated and devastated? How many young people have been completely turned off to the truth of God because of hypocrisy and carelessness by their parents? I'm telling you that if we'll understand this house that is good for salvation is also good for sanctification, it will protect us from a lot of unnecessary suffering. You look at the suffering of David through Absalom and through, uh, through the civil war that broke out in his own family and all of the terrible things that he went through later in life. It was avoidable. He didn't have to go through it. The house that's good for salvation is good for sanctification. So here's some application, then I'm done. We'll be starting to eat chili in, a lot, in like 10 minutes. Number one, have some walls as a family. Have some walls. Have some, let me be a little more specific. Number one, as a family, have some walls in your marriage. And, and, and walls don't always need to be negative. They need to be positive too. And the, the, the walls aren't just, the, the walls aren't just for keeping you in. They're also for keeping unwanted things out. You know what Rahab kept out of her house? 
destruction. Sometimes we look at these walls as it's, a, it's, just about, it's just about where we can't go. No, sometimes it's about keeping some bad stuff out. So have some walls in your marriage. Build up some positive walls. Build up some affirming walls. Can I, can I encourage young couples especially, and as, as your marriage increases in years, don't lose sight of this. Continue to date one another and be romantic with each other. Thank you. <laughs> Andrea is making some kind of comment to me right now, and I can't tell what it is. Amen. Okay, thank you. <laughs> She's like, man, Pyle, you need to get down at the altar right now. <laughs> and I agree. Build up some walls. And your wife or your husband ought to be your friend. Not only that, but have some walls as a parent. I... I have some walls. I've talked to you about this. I have some walls about, I don't care what you call it. And you say, well, we call it this. That's fine. I don't care what you call it. One day my kids, by the grace of God, are going to get married. You can call that process. Dating, courting, the romance lottery, I don't care. (laughs) Here's what I know biblically. Biblically, mom and dad are going to be involved in that. Biblically. Mom and dad are going to be involved in that. So we have these walls. You know what another wall is? You're not even going to think about it until you're actually ready for it. Man, I love our teenagers, and I mess with them. I mess with the boys. I mess with the girls. I mess with them. But you know what this is about? This is about learning how to follow Jesus and be each other's friend. That's what it's about. Learning how to treat the young ladies with respect and be their friend. Learning how to treat the young men with respect and be their friend. That's what we're working for. And then one day, and and however you do it in your home, that's your business. But understand that there are consequences to how you do it. And so one of the walls for my children personally is, you're not even thinking about this until you're actually ready for it. Number two, you're never thinking about it if you allow us to have, any do, have anything to do with it. You're not thinking about it with someone who is not of like faith and practice. The label Christian is not enough. There needs to be evidence that your family is following Jesus, that that, that individual is following Jesus Christ and is plugged into a church that is of like mind and like faith. So many, so, many, so many young people get themselves into a situation to where there is not an agreement of faith. And I understand there are exceptions to this, but when there is not an agreement on the faith of Jesus Christ and what it looks like to follow him, usually it's the one that goes away from God that wins out in a home. Or it creates great difficulty and suffering. Man, have walls for your kids' entertainment. Have walls for your kids' friends. Have walls for your kids' habits. Another thing about this, live out the sanctification that you want your child, that you expect of your children. Okay, so imagine this: Rahab is telling her family, "Hey, y'all need to stay. Y'all need to stay inside." Well, what are you doing outside? And yet, there are parents who want their kids to live this way, but they themselves are trying to give liberty, take liberty, and living a completely different way. If you're not consistent in living out in front of your children what you expect, don't be surprised if when you occasionally dabble, 
they end up making their home in the street. Mm, another thing, we're going to have some walls as a church. I, I'm not trying to push an amen button here, but God created boys to be boys. And God created girls to be girls. And I could care less what Caitlyn Jenner or anybody else says about who should be playing what sport. God created boys to be boys and girls to be girls. It's, it's not an issue here. And it won't be an issue here. And so we draw some lines in an, in an effort in an effort to help magnify the gender in a right and pure way that God created boys to be and God created girls to be. Not, not, and people have to draw personal lines when, how they're going to. And again, that's between them and the Lord. And you know me. I'm not walking around measuring anybody's personal conviction or personal application of these things. But you say, man, it seems like a lot of people wear dresses and a lot of, people, a lot of ladies wear dresses and a lot of guys wear this. Well, what is the requirement here? There's not a requirement of anyone when it comes to being a part of this church family. But we are trying to magnify what God created and how he created that. Let me, let me say this, and this shouldn't bother you. For decades, you know what the, the universal sign, at least in America, for a male bathroom has been? A stick figure that was obviously a dude. And then you say a stick figure that was obviously a girl. You say, how do they make stick figures obvious? Well, because the female stick figure was wearing a dress. You say, what's your point? That we are trying to help people understand God created us to be distinct and it's okay to give some attention to that. You don't hear what I'm not saying on this. Number, number two, we're going to have some doctrinal walls. There's a song out there from a couple of decades ago or something like this, let the walls come down. Well, man, when the walls come down, the dogs come in. They do. They do. I'm, I need to wrap this up. But we've got we've to be sure that we, we, under, we take biblical positions on the truth of God. On standards of leadership. You said, yeah, you, you talked about how there are, there are expectations for leaders in the church. Are you ready? Here's, this, here's the first standard. Are you ready? This is good. Faithfulness. You can't really be involved in things if you're not consistently present at things. I, and as a pastor, I care way more about you growing than I do about you having a position in this church. Number two, or one more thing, as a witness, people are not going to be helped by your testimony if Christ makes no obvious difference in the way you live your life. Look, okay, so you know, you know this. Faith is supposed to work itself inside out. Inside out. This church is not about going around with the proverbial measuring stick and saying, hey, how do you measure up to what I think? How do you measure up to what I think? Do we do, we do that with anybody here? Come on, come on. Absolutely not. But here's what we do say. The faith of Jesus Christ ought to produce a particular way of living your life. All right, so what does that have to do with camp? 
You said you were going to talk about camp. Yeah, you know what we do at camp? We try to build walls. You know what the walls are? A relationship with Jesus Christ, loving the word of God, submitting to parental authority, being involved in a church, learning how to be a witness for Jesus Christ, learning to pray and walk with God. Those are some walls that we are trying to instill through camp. So you know what when you do tonight and you give a love offering to help kids go to camp, you know what you're helping to do? Build some walls in their life that are going to keep them safe for generations to come. I like it. Some walls worth investing in. All right. We're done. Y'all can wake up. I'm going to pray with you. I'm going to pray with you. Father, thank you for your love for us. I sure do love your people. And God, I pray that you would help the truth and the Lord, especially the spirit of what we're talking about to, to not be missed. And God, as we begin to enjoy the fellowship and have some fun tonight, I pray that you would be honored by it and that our young people would be helped by it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.